and welcome to Shuffle, episode 10.5, the David Bowie tribute episode. Today I am joined yet again by everyone's favorite perpetual special guest, Dominic Manthe. Hey, yo. Hey, yo. Your voice has changed a bit since we last saw you. Yeah, I know, man. Uh, uh, I'm real different, man. Name has changed me. I can't help it. Let's talk about boy. <laughs> um, no, thanks for having me. How, back. how have you been since? I mean, for the listeners, they haven't heard you in three weeks, but I haven't mm-hmm. actually recorded with you in like over a month. So how's yeah. how's life been? Uh, you know, things have been a little tough. Things have been a little tough. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't listened to any new music without <laughs> you. Just been you've just been sitting there waiting, <laughs> sitting there waiting for music. Oh, I don't have the internet. I don't have any other friends. I'm just waiting for you. The second you walk away, you kind of just like freeze in stasis (laughs) until I call you back to do the podcast. Exactly. All right. So like I said, this is going to be a special episode about David Bowie. A little background on him. David Bowie was born David Robert Jones on the 8th of January, 1947 in Brixton, London, England. The name Bowie actually came from the 19th century American frontiersman Jim Bowie who popularized the Bowie knife. So he kind of took that as his stage name. Uh, He would go on to release 27 studio albums, 9 live albums, 46 compilation albums, 5 extended plays, 111 singles, 3 soundtracks, 13 video albums, and 51 music videos. Jesus. Yeah. In the UK, he was awarded nine platinum album certifications, 11 gold and eight silver. And in the US, five platinum, seven gold. Throughout his career, he sold an estimated 140 million records worldwide and was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1996. As well as being a musician, songwriter, and multi-instrumentalist, Boy was also a record producer, arranger, painter, and actor. Starring in films such as The Man Who Fell to Earth, Merry Christmas, oh, <laughs> Merry Christmas, Merry Chris, Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, Labyrinth, Scorsese's The Last Temptation of Christ, Twin Peaks, Firewalk with Me, The Prestige, and of course, Zoolander. Oh yes. Uh, he revolutionized the glam rock era with his flamboyant, androgynous alter ego Ziggy Stardust. He's collaborated with the likes of Iggy Pop, Brian Eno, Lou Reed, Adrian Blue, John Lennon, Queen, Nine Inch Nails, Mick Jagger, Tina Turner, Cher, Bing Crosby, Goldie, TV on the Radio, Scarlett Johansson, Arcade Fire. I could probably keep going on. He's considered to be one of the most influential pop culture icons of all time. And he also was kind of this beacon for weirdos on the fringe of culture letting them know that it was okay to be themselves and he also taught us that we could reinvent ourselves as many times as we like and we can move on from our past and become different and better versions of ourselves and on january 10th 2016 two days after his 69th birthday and the release of his last album black star david bowie died from liver cancer in his new york home this episode of Shuffle is dedicated to David Bowie and the wake he left behind. Now, moving on to Insane Clown Posse News Corner. 
I dug deep trying to find some sort of news story connecting Insane Clown Posse and David Bowie. Wow, what'd you find? The best I could find was a tweet <laughs> from Insane Clown Posse on the day that Bowie passed away. They said, R.I.P. David Bowie, you were the shit. <laughs> Fitting. So, you know, of all the tributes I read, that one might be the most new. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Other, so now moving on to Bowie news. Bowie's Black Star album, which I just referenced, just reached number one on the Billboard 200 charts. And this marks his first ever number one album in the United States. Wow. It dethroned Adele's 25 from the number one spot, which had maintained the top spot for seven weeks prior to that. And he also took out Adele in another way. On the day that he died, January 11th, Bowie set a Vivo record for most views for an artist in a single day on Vivo music videos. Before that, the record was Adele on the day that Hello came out, her new single, with 36 million views. Right. Bowie drew a total of 51 million views on the day that he died. Uh, Black Star sold the equivalent of 181,000 albums, uh, of which 174,000 were actually albums. The rest were like digital downloads. Black Star is also number one on the UK charts, and his death also brought 18 of his other albums back to the topping charts wow. in the UK. Uh, Bowie has been honored with his own lightning bolt-shaped constellation in the skies. A Belgian radio station, Studio Brussels, and the MIRA Public Observatory have honored David Bowie with a constellation in the night sky. They registered seven stars in the shape of his iconic lightning bolt, adorning Bowie's face on the cover of his 1973 album, Aladdin Sane. The constellation is fittingly, quote, in the vicinity of Mars, unquote. Mm -hmm. Other Bowie news. Uh, did you know that Bowie starred in a video game? I only knew this because I followed your Facebook. Yes. And I was like, what the fuck? So in 1999... <laughs> Uh, gaming company Square Enix, the people who famously put out the Final Fantasy games, yeah. made a game called Omicron, the Nomad Soul, mm. which Bowie scored the soundtrack for and played one of the major characters in the game wow. vocally. And right now, Square Enix is giving away free copies of that game in honor of Bowie. I believe you have until January 22nd. I'll post in the show notes for this how to get that if anyone's interested. It's kind of a mix of like an old role-playing game with a bit of like first-person shooter stuff is that right yeah does it have a lot of david bowie themes from however much you've played i actually have never played it i downloaded it oh, but i haven't yeah. booted it up yet oh. i it seems kind of david bowie-ish based off of what i know of it it's kind of like a future dystopian okay. kind of setting so okay. lots of you know, space travel, and but also kind of like spiritually magic-y stuff. Yeah, right. So right. I think it's kind of in the vein of Bowie. Yeah. Let's see. Last news story. Bowie was supposedly working on a follow-up album to Black Star at the time of his death. Did you yeah. hear about this? I just, I just heard about that because many people had 
been talking about this was like his final testament to his fans and maybe that could still be the case but then i noticed a few articles popping up claiming that well he had something else in the works etc yeah both of these stories the fact that black star was kind of his final album to his fans and the fact that he had a follow-up album came from his longtime friend and producer tony visconti a week before his death bowie contacted tony visconti and told him that he has written and demoed five new songs visconti was quoted saying and i was thrilled and i thought and he thought that he'd have a few months at least obviously if he's excited about doing an album he must have thought he had a few more months yeah so the end must have been very rapid i'm not privy to it i don't know exactly but he must have taken it very quickly after that phone call so there's yet to be any talk of those five songs will surface ever. Yeah. I'm assuming at some point it will in some special something. That just makes it all the more sad. Still, that Yeah, supposedly between recording Black Star and working on his off-Broadway play Lazarus, he was like showing up to practice in the studio, like right from the chemo sessions. Wow, he's chugging away at it. Wow. So this episode of Shuffle is special in that it's a curated playlist rather than a randomly generated playlist, which I know goes against everything that this podcast is supposed <laughs> to be about. But we felt can be excused. Yeah. I thank you. I I was really worried you wanted to be No. Bowie. Bowie. It's a very Bowie thing to do. Change it up. Ch ch change it up. Which foreshadowing. So for this album or album, this episode, Domic and I each contributed two of our favorite Bowie tracks. And as well we kind of came up with a collective favorite track off of Black Star, at least one that we felt needed to be talked about in depth more so than any other tracks. Uh, I guess just a, a forewarning, I'm not a diehard Bowie fan. I don't mean to disrespect him or his fans with my choices of tracks. Uh, I do have a relationship with his music, probably not as deep as some people, but you know, his passing did affect me so much that I wanted to do this episode. I realize that my favorite Bowie tracks might not reflect that of a true fan, but these songs do hold a special place in my heart. And if you feel like I, we didn't choose the right tracks, please feel free to share with us what your favorite tracks are. I'm always interested in listening to new music. Now, I know a lot of people at least in my generation, probably grew up listening to Bowie. And that wasn't the case for me. I don't know if it's because my parents just didn't play that music for me or if they're just not Bowie fans, but it wouldn't be until my high school career that a man named Trent Reznor would introduce me to Bowie. And the fact that it was Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails who got me into Bowie, that's gonna play a huge role on the two tracks I picked. You'll find out why in a bit. Do you? Yeah, I mean, I, 
if if you're guilty of anything, I'm even more guilty. I mean, I if you were just to take the most average American casual listener, that's me. I, that's me. So I knew him just through the radio and through pop culture. So my choices reflect more or less just you know the true heart of the average American consumer. <laughs> if nothing else. Uh, but I had, I, I, I do genuinely enjoy these songs, and listening to them again, I still have very fond memories of them. And David Bowie, yeah, I, I guess another way to say it is the only David Bowie album I've listened to front to back multiple times is Black Star. So, <laughs> no, but it's it's a great album. Yeah, and it's a great album. So I would say, yeah, I mean, and maybe in a way that's kind of how Bowie. I mean, I can't wax nostalgic about someone I hardly knew, but my impression just reading the obituaries is that's kind of how he was able to have such a long career, is he was just continually reinventing himself with some kind of just basic thread of continuity. That So if you listen to an album like Black Star, it intrigues you to go back and listen to his other stuff, which I suppose in this podcast is. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Did you know that David Bowie turned down a knighthood from the Queen? No. I, wow. I, I, I found that out. Well, because like today I was thinking about another rest in peace shout out. Is, uh, oh, yeah, Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman yeah. just passed. Sir Alan Rickman, I, I think. Was he? He should have been. I, I'm not sh- Okay, I don't know if he was, but it got me. I should have looked that up too, I guess. But I looked up, I was like... David Bowie has to be a knight. And I looked yeah. it up and he turned it down. Wow. Did he have a statement? Why? Or is this Yeah, it was kind of like, <laughs> he's like, I, I don't mean any disrespect, but first of all, I don't even know what the fuck that means to be called a knight. <laughs> it was never something that I set out to do. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a goal I wanted to accomplish with my music. Yeah. So I don't mean disrespect, but I just, I don't want to have anything to do with that yeah <laughs> yeah which i feel is very bowie yeah it's one character he never <laughs> aspired yeah. for and uh another interesting thing i found out about bowie is i could tell how like significant of a role he played in the world because pretty much every single song of his has its own wikipedia page entry yeah it's like amazing. all of the songs yeah, it's amazing. all of them so I guess with that, we can segue into our first track. And I guess usually you, the listeners, would have had this playlist prior to listening to this episode. It will be put up with this episode, so you can follow. If you want to stop and listen to it first, you can if you want to listen to it afterwards. Here's the first track. It is called I Am Afraid of Americans. And this is actually the Nine Inch Nails version 1 mix of this track off of Bowie's 1997 album, Earthling. This song was co-written by ambient musician Brian Eno. And while this is not the original version of this song that appears on the Earthling record, the Nine Inch Nails version one remix became so popular that it kind of dwarfed the original track. This was the track that was used for the music video for the single. gained a lot of notoriety and kind of became everyone's idea of what this track was rather than it kind of took the place of the original right 
Uh, here are Bowie's feelings behind the song when asked kind of what it was about. He says, quote, It's not as truly hostile about Americans as, say, born in the USA. It's merely sardonic. I was traveling in Java when its first McDonald's went up. It was like, for fuck's sake. The invasion by any homogenized culture is so depressing. The erection of another Disney world in, say, Umbria, Italy, more so. It strangles the indigenous culture and narrows expression of life. Which just goes to show you how well-spoken this man was. Yeah. yeah elegant yeah. and edgy at the same time. Yeah. For fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there are seven versions of this song. The original and then seven remixes. The version one, which is the one we're going to be talking about, is the most popular. But interesting fact, version three actually involves some rapping by Ice Cube. What? Yeah. Wow. So Ice Cube, <laughs> Nine Inch Nails, and Bowie all work together on a track. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm going to have to listen to that. Uh, the music video for this song features Bowie walking around in New York when Johnny, the character that he's singing about, played by Trent Reznor, starts stalking him. Mm-hmm. Bowie begins to run away from Johnny and witnesses people all around him committing these random acts of violence with invisible guns in their hands. Mm-hmm. After being captured in a taxi driven by Johnny, Bowie watches him destroy the taxi with an invisible machine gun. Bowie then realizes that the taxi is fine and sees Johnny leading a parade with a cross down the road, kind of like Jesus carrying the cross. Yeah, yeah. All while the phrase, God is an American, is being sung over and over again. So uh, what did you think of this? Uh, I had definitely never heard it before, but yeah, I, I would say I've never heard a David Bowie song where it didn't sound like there was a tremendous amount of thought put into it. I, and this was again another song where maybe it's not, you know, an enormously political statement, but it is a pretty, you know, it's thoughtful. It's a very thoughtful song, and I liked it, especially that line you mentioned around like the 320 moment where there's kind of a drop and then the bridge of God is an American, and then you see Trent Reznor walking with a cross, yeah. just like Jesus. I was like, wow, yeah, that's good. It, it is a really good kind of surrealist yeah statement so i like i like this song a lot and I, again i've never heard a david boy song that didn't sound like it wasn't worth listening to multiple times definitely yeah. yeah i i love i love how kind of cynical the lyrics are you know, talking about coke and pussy and cars yeah and yeah kind of I don't know, it's, it might be a little heavy-handed, but, I mean, it was, (laughs) it was written back in the 90s, the mid-90s, when I think it's since then become a lot more popular to kind of shit on Americans. Yeah. So, I'm not saying it was an original thought, but someone as big as him doing a song basically dissing the culture that the song was written for but people still like it anyway i mean that's got to say something yeah no i put i i wrote reactionary but effective yeah. <laughs> the yeah. song is a little bit like oh, fuck america yeah but it's effective I, I don't know it was someone in someone else's hands the song could have yeah but been 
much less of a piece. But in this case, it was good. And not to say David Boy is an amazing actor. You'll never hear me say that. He's an you, amazing I think you actor. just said it. <laughs> I could edit it yeah, to make it sound it like you out. said that. Oh, shit. Uh, but for a musician in a music video, he's a, that's about as good acting as I've ever seen. And especially even when he's delivering like that line, like a Johnny wants pussies in car, pussy in cars. And if you look at his face while he's saying it, he does add a kind of weird kind of self-aware dimension to it. It was pretty good. It was a very good music video. I yeah, and then just I don't know. It's kind of can you imagine just standing in New York City, reading a newspaper, and downward spiral. Arid Trent Reznor is just pissed off walking towards you in a flannel. <laughs> like, yeah. I would run too, probably. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I think I also enjoy how this version of the song kind of, I don't know, the kind of glam rock Bowie in his style of vocals can come off as kind of flamboyant and fantastical. I liked how edgy and kind of badass. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. besides the the industrial production and Trent's backing vocals, Bowie himself, I think, is a little more on the badass side of things too. Yeah. yeah. It was just kind of nice seeing him change it up a bit. Yeah, I thought I thought that this this was a great kind of musical backdrop for his voice that I hadn't really heard before. Yeah, I agree completely. I thought it was a good, yeah, edgy kind of use of David Boy's really good voice. Yeah. Yeah. So, were you aware of the relationship between Trent Reznor and Bowie at all prior to this? I wasn't. I think maybe you had mentioned it once to me. So I was just vaguely kind of like cued to it. But when I saw, I wasn't sure if that was Trent Reznor in the music video. But I was like, I'm pretty sure that. <laughs> that, yeah, that is, so I Googled it. I was like, yeah, okay, that's Trent Reznor. Yeah, so just vaguely. Yeah, so... Yeah. Trent is a, he would be one of the diehard fans I was talking to. Yeah. Bowie is his idol. And in 1995, his dream got to come true. Bowie and Trent, or I should say Bowie, Nan, and Schnells toured together. It was this big tour. It was called the Dissonance Tour. Hmm. And although at the time, I'm not saying this as if it was my personal opinion, but the general consensus was that at the time in 1995, Nin's career was exploding. Bowie was kind of going down. So at the time, Nine Inch Nails was allegedly more popular than Bowie. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. But in America, for sure. Yes, in America. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Definitely. But Trent felt very uncomfortable having his idol open for him. So Nine Inch Nails would play before Bowie, and near the end of Nine Inch Nails' set list, Bowie's band would slowly and gradually come out to stage until both bands were on the stage. And then both bands would play five songs together. Wow. Reznor and Bowie would sing duet throughout this dual mini set, and then Reznor would leave the stage at the end of the five song set, and Bowie's band would start to do their part of the show. Yeah. The concept was innovative at the time, but it received low sales and mixed reviews. Kind of basically what happened was is the young crowd didn't stay for Bowie, yeah, despite the I... set segue, and the older crowd didn't get into Nine Inch Nails' industrial sound. 
Yeah. Nowadays, nowadays these shows are treasured by the bootleg community, and everyone wishes that it would happen again. Yeah. So they would they would come out, and the five songs they would play would be Subterraneans, which is we're going to talk about later. Scary Monsters, which is a Bowie song. Reptile, which is a Nine Inch Nails song. Hello Space Boy, Bowie song, and then they ended doing Nine Inch Nails' song Hurt. Uh, Trent has stated that Hunky Dory, Scary Monsters, and Low are his favorite Bowie albums. And so, yeah, they kind of, they, that's how they ended up working on this track together. Uh, nice. Wow, that would be an amazing but that's what I was gonna guess that the young people unfortunately would probably be like later yeah <laughs> when Bowie comes out yeah. oh and if you're curious I can post the original version of this song it's pretty similar this song is a lot more industrial and abrasive sounding the original is a little more dance influenced but otherwise <laughs> Trent didn't change it too much I don't think yeah I think the vocals were probably the biggest change that during the refrains, Trent singing with Bowie kind of really changed the emotion of the song. Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts on I'm Afraid of Americans? No, I liked it. Yeah. I love that song. Yeah. All right, let's move on to Ch 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 Changes off the 1971 album Hunky Dory. Despite missing the top 40s, Changes became one of Bowie's best-known songs. According to Bowie, this song started out as a parody of a nightclub song. He referred to it as kind of a throwaway song. But people kept chanting for it at concerts, and thus it became one of his most popular and enduring songs of all time. The lyrics are often seen as a manifesto for his chameleonic personality, the frequent change of the world today, and frequent reinventions of his musical style throughout the 1970s. The single is cited as David Bowie's official North American North American de de debut, despite the fact that the song The Man Who Sold the World was released in the North America two years prior. Hmm. So people kind of think this is the song that put him on the map yeah. in America. Yeah. This was also the very last song Bowie ever performed live on stage before his, uh, his retirement in 2006. Mm -hmm. Which, yeah. yeah. So it was the last song that he kind of left us with. Wow. Live. Yeah, he, live. He went on to record two or three more albums after that. Two more albums after that. Mm. Plus this alleged five-song demo yeah. album. But the song is ranked at number 127 on Rolling Stone's Rolling Stone magazine's list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. Uh, so that's kind of what I gathered about the background. What a very you? scientific list. That's a very scientific. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that is it. So this is no, one of the songs you picked. Tell me about a bit about changes and what it means to you. Yeah, this was a song that I had heard on the radio since I can remember listening to the radio. I would hear this all the time. And in fact, when I would see the popular image of David Bowie, I didn't even know this was his song. <laughs> like yeah. the Ziggy Stardust and all that, and kind of space opera and all that. I didn't know that it was even the same guy. Uh, so, I, in a way, I suppose it's a testament to, again, what the song is even up 
about his ability to change and kind of experiment in different genres because like you said this is almost kind of like a lounge like cabaret at least when it starts out you know yeah i really kind of it's like a honky-tonk piano yep. to it almost yeah. too yeah but listening to it even again it is it is such a musically simple song drums, bass, guitar, maybe there's a moment of strings in there, but there's not an enormous amount going on, but his voice is fantastic, it is still a, a really great display of his voice, and the lyrics, the lyrics for a pop song, this is a line in a pop song, he says, I watch the ripples change their size, but never leave the stream of warm impermanence. I have not heard a pop song that's ranked in the top 10 have that many multi-slavic words in my life. <laughs> I, I think it, it's incredible. Yeah. I also, I know it's cliche to go to these lines, but the, and all these children that you spit upon as they try to change their worlds are immune to your consolations. They're quite aware of what they're going through. Yeah, brilliant. It's like, yeah. it's... It's so fucking punk rock. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know that, yeah. that they show that quote at the beginning of the Breakfast Club movie. Right, right, right. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's yeah. a great line. And going back to his vocal delivery, I know that it's been, I believe I read that Bob Dylan was a huge influence on Bowie. Yeah. I think he even has a song called Bob Dylan. Hmm. I You can really kind of hear a bit of like a Bob Dylan influence on his vocal performance in this song, yeah. I feel. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, and, and I, I don't remember exactly where I read this, but, like, the use of, like, stuttering in music was, re was like, a pretty rare thing. And I think uh, The Who and their song My Generation was, like, one of the first popular songs to stutter. And then other people, and I think that came out probably three or four years before this. But it's done, it is done very well. I gotta say artfully, because I love the line, Turn and face the strange oh, I, that keeps coming back. I wanted it to, so, <laughs> and I, then he stutters. Yeah, <laughs> I, I had to write that line down. Turn and face the strange. I like. I looked at that line after listening to the song a couple times, and that line just kept growing on me and growing yeah. on me. Like, if I was even, I think a hair more of a Bowie fan, yeah. I would probably get that line tattooed somewhere on my body. So I good, love that yeah, turn and so face good. the strange. Yeah. yeah. Fuck yeah. I think this was one of those songs where I had always heard growing up and you like sing it along with it before you even realize that, wow, the lyrics are really good. Yeah. Because <laughs> the... Yeah. That just shows you his brilliance. Like, he gets the song stuck in your head. Yep. And exactly. then once it burrows in there, it explodes with its meaning. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. like he plants his flag in your brain, yeah. claims it as his own. Yeah. And I feel like that turn and face is strange, I think, is like the most simple way to represent who Bowie was. Yeah. Yeah. He turned and faced the strange. Yeah. And was adapted. Straight up. Yeah, he could adapt to it. Yeah, he was good. And yeah, this song, again, I was like, when you asked me two to pick, I picked this because I listened to it the most. And then re-listening to it, I still love it. It's a beautiful song. It's beautiful. And I really think it's also a testament to who Bowie was as this leader of outcasts. That yeah. A song that fails to make the top 40 ends up becoming one of the most popular songs of all time. Yeah. Like, that just shows you, like, he's on top but he doesn't need to be in the fucking top 40 to do it yeah yeah 
Michael Bowie. Uh, that's it's a great song. I don't really have much else to say. No, no, that's Let's move on to the bipolar opposite of the song changes <laughs> called with a song called Subterraneans off the nineteen seventy-seven album Low. Low is widely regarded as one of Bowie's most influential releases in the electronic music world at least. Low was the first of three collaborations with Brian Eno that were, I believe, called the Berlin Sessions, Yeah. even though most of those albums were actually recorded in France. And this album marked a decisive shift in his musical style towards a more avant-garde approach. Avant-garde. <laughs> Subterraneans was meant to invoke the misery of those in East Berlin during the Cold War. Mm. According to Bowie, people who got caught in East Berlin after the separation and the faint, or it was it was for the people who got caught in East Berlin after the separation and the the faint jazz saxophones representing memory of what was. The lyrics are amongst Bowie's most inaccessible and superficially at least, seem to make no sense whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> Bowie reports that during the recording of Low, he was intolerably bored with conventional narrative rock and roll lyrics. The lyrics of Subterraneans seem to resemble the cut-up technique popularized by William S. Burroughs, which Bowie has previously stated he is a huge fan of. Mm. If any of you don't know, the cut-up technique is an aleatory literary technique in which text is cut up and rearranged to create a new text, which I guess Burroughs did for Naked Lunch and yeah, all that right. stuff. So the lyrics, there's not very many of them. Share bride falling star, Caroline, 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 Caroline riding me, surely, surely, surely own share bride falling star. And as I mentioned before, this is one of the songs that Nine Inch Nails and Bowie would play together during the Dissonance tour. This would actually kick off their little five-song mini set. Yeah. Trent would actually play saxophone for this song. Wow. And Bowie would actually sing lyrics from the song Scary Monster because this song would then transition into that rather than singing these lyrics that I just read. Huh. And uh, so... I guess, yeah. What did you think of Subterraneans? Yeah, I thought I had never heard this song before. And I thought it was a great song. I thought that it definitely, to me, was a little reminiscent of Black Star. A little bit. It kind of, it's kind of, which we'll get more to later, but it kind of having that saxophone in there. The eerie closer. saxophone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and being somber and sad, but not sentimental. It was exactly. Just, yeah, which is kind of a tough kind of musical register to hit, but it was yeah very well done. I thought this was a really very cool song that I had. This is probably the first album of his I'll listen to. That I hadn't listened to it before. I highly recommend listening to Low. Again, I I'm not gonna take credit for finding this album. Trent Reznor led me to this album. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the nine, arguably Nine Inch Nails' most popular album of all time, The Downward Spiral. Trent has stated multiple times that during the recording of that album, he pretty much had this album low 
constantly playing. Wow. This album highly influenced the downward spiral, which made me want to look into it. Nice. nice. The, it's, a, it's, an, it's an interesting album. The first half has kind of more conventional Bowie songs, mm. but then the second half is entirely these instrumental avant-garde pieces. Nice. Some of them are very happy. Some of them are very like this. And yeah. Brian Eno played a huge part in this with his introduction of synthesizers to Bowie's music. Yeah, yeah. No, it, that, it's a fantastic meeting of those two musical minds. Because I, I love the kind of faint, buzzing, electronic noise kind of throughout and the drone and low bass. It's yeah. fantastic. And what really attracted to me this song too is like pretty much any instrumental piece that I've ever heard Trent record, I can hear in this song. Yeah, like this is where yeah. it all came from. This right. sounds exactly like it could have been off of the Fragile album by Nine Inch Nails. Yeah. I I love this song. I love how moody and atmospheric it is. I also I can't believe this was recorded in nineteen seventy seven. Yeah, like, it's this amazing. seems way ahead of its time. Yeah. Yeah. And even though the lyrics appear to be nonsensical, Bowie's emotion while singing, it's still like, it emotes a strong sense of loss and regret through the, yeah. just the delivery of his vocal performance. Yeah, it's more like an instrument. Yeah. The voice is more like an instrument. And it, when it does come in, it is beautiful. It is like moving. Yeah. yeah. Even though you have no idea what he's saying. And then when you look it up, it makes you have even less sense. <laughs> but that's kind of the point, really. I think it, it's more like an instrument. It sounds so good yeah. in this song. Yeah. And I, like you said, the, the horns and saxophone just really add to it, too. Yeah. And there's there's a quote I'll read later by someone when we're talking about Black Star about Bowie's use of horns and how peculiar it is that he can use horns in such a sad way yeah i guess yeah but it's not like like you said it's not blatantly sad it's just kind of like stoic and cold yeah yeah no it reminds me of like like bill evans who was just jazz piano player and like miles davis during his like cool jazz period they were able to hit that similar register of sad but it's not like not sentimental I don't know how else to describe it it's not like they're yearning kind of idealistically for something it's just somber yeah they're not they're not trying to escape from the sadness it's yeah. like they're just sitting yeah stewing and yeah yeah no it's a great this is a great song yeah I re yeah I really recommend checking out low sometime yeah I guess with that we can move on to space oddity Dominic's second pick off of his 1969 album David Bowie which I learned was re-released in 1973 being retitled Space Oddity due to how due to how popular and successful this track was mm -hmm. the song is about the launch of Major Tom a fictional astronaut and was released during a period of great interest in spaceflight the United States Apollo 11 mission would launch five days after this track was released and would become the first manned moon landing another five days later. Uh, the single was not played by the BBC until after the Apollo 11 crew had safely returned to oh. Earth, though, because... <laughs> Be sensitive well, to if, it. <laughs> if you know the lyrics of this song, yeah. it's not yeah. the best ending for Major Tom. Where you at? Where you at? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
besides the title, which alludes to the 2001 uh, Space Odyssey film, yeah, the introduction to this song is a barely audible instrumental buildup that is analogous to the the deep bass tone in also Spruce Zathura, the, the German film, yeah, based off Nietzsche's Spruce Zathura. Yep. Yeah. It became Bowie's first UK number one single. Bowie would also go on to revisit Major Tom in other songs in his discography, such as Ashes to Ashes, Hello Space Boy, and Black Star, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. In, in 2013, Canadian astronaut Chris Hadfield recorded a cover version of this song while aboard the International Space Station therefore making it the first music video to ever be shot in <laughs> outer space. Though the lyrics were slightly altered, the ending yeah. was replaced with Major Tom getting his orders to land and doing so <laughs> safely. And what intri- a wuss. Yeah. Come on, sing the line. Sing Come on, Chris. <laughs> and a, another little interesting fact I found out, the performance was subject uh, to a piece by the economist Glenn Fisherman, who analyzed the legal implications of publicly performing copyrighted work while in Earth orbit and whether or not it's really copyright infringement or not. He wrote an article about it. I'll, I'll post it. Yeah. For this. yeah. <laughs> Which also led me to learn that this is actually the only song in Bowie's discography that he does not own the copyright for. Yeah. It's because of how popular the song is the record company still retains rights to it wow so actually when chris hadfield contacted bowie's team about doing that cover they gave him like a one-year licensing rights thing yeah it's actually a year after he put it up he had to take it down off youtube (laughs) and bowie was really pissed off about it so he got another two years but as of right now by 2017 it'll be after again what? Wow. Unless he pays wow. to have it put back up again. Capitalism, baby. Right. I love it. So tell me about Space Oddity. Uh, I, similar to Changes, this is a song that I just heard all the time growing up, like ingrained in my kind of cultural DNA, just hearing it all the time. But re-listening to it again, it is really like, if someone had to have like a, like a museum cultural museum of the United States in like the 1900s. This is like a necessary cultural artifact for like the 60s going into the 70s. Especially watching the video again, it's like, wow, this is... (laughs) That video kind of... That is a... That is not a pretty video. No, it is so... I mean, but how many music videos were there back in Neo That's true. That's very true. It, it's it, it's one of those songs that like is I think so a product of its time, and that time has like now for like three generations been like reinterpreted, and now it seems like very derivative. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but watching it. it that's why I don't know how else to say it except it like just belongs in a museum. It's just so much like, wow, that's that is the like late sixties psychedelia space obsession, you know, British pop music just communicating that kind of dignified alienation from the world. Yeah, it's well, and I do think it's pretty funny that 
during the time that this song came out, the world was so obsessed with the thought of space travel. Yeah. Everyone yeah. was like, the it was the race to the moon and all the future implications of what flight could mean, whether it had yeah. been for like military use or whatever. And everyone's all excited about it. And of course, David Bowie comes along and writes this extremely melancholic, cynical song about yeah. being stuck in space and dying alone. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> no, it's it is a great kind of really alien, a, pe- a good piece of alienation. Just you know. and I don't know, maybe this is getting too tangential, but you know, David Bowie's son, Duncan Jones, Moon, who did I Moon about Moon again. Yeah. It's like, of course, you know, David Bowie's son would do something like Moon. he would make a movie even more depressing <laughs> exactly. than the song Space Oddity. Exactly. That is exactly. arguably one of the saddest movies I've ever seen in my entire life. That is so. It is bleak. It is bleak. Major Tom gets it better than (laughs) Yeah. 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 But I do, I got to say, the only other kind of big kind of impression I got when I listened to it again, besides that it was like space glam with like an existential edge, which I appreciate, is that it really has a fantastic ear for melody. There's like a ton of hooks in this song throughout. It's like two or three different songs just shoved into three and a half minutes and you know it, it's impressive and I, it makes sense that like someone like Elton John I think he covers this song a lot yeah who Elton John he's all about just hook after hook and melody and melody on the piano because it just seems you know similar just fantastic ear for melody really. yeah I mean also going back to changes that kind of feels like multiple songs yeah. smashed into one and it's not yeah. jarring no it, it flows well yeah and i also going back to you saying like how you were just kind of pummeled by the song i don't think i ever went to a single one of my college's open mic nights that some stoner <laughs> dude didn't yeah. at least go into this song <laughs> while playing another song. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, for I, sure. I knew the lines about Major Tom before I even knew who Bowie was, yeah. I feel. Yeah, same, I think, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's a cultural artifact, man. That is really... And I guess what I, what I also appreciate about it is while it's overall kind of a sad, hopeless song, there is still kind of like the wondrous nature of space yeah. in there. Like, there's yeah. still that feeling of yeah, the grandiosity of space travel. Yeah, it's not total dread. It's more like that weird kind of, like, awe, you know? That's, like, kind of you're terrified, but also kind of like, all right, I guess I'm going to float off and die. <laughs> oh, <laughs> just sitting in a tin can. Yeah, just sitting in a tin can. It's good. I know it's very apocryphal. I have no idea if it's true. I think it, it was true of the Major Tom character in, like, the 1970s iteration of it. There was some album in the 70s where he brought Major Tom back as a character or referenced him. But I had heard that at least then Major Tom was, like, being in outer space was referencing kind of being so, in one sense, just on drugs and burnt out and alienated and feeling like you're so detached and dissociated from the world and you're just floating out there. Which I thought, if that is true, that's kind of a great... uh, Just another reason why this is such a cultural artifact. The 60s, so much hope, and maybe there's something beautiful. 
and then by the 70s drugs just kill <laughs> everything you're just burned out and the awe has turned into just despair i don't want to be out here anymore <laughs> that's good man it's good boy was such a genius i know yeah. i know yeah. i guess with that we can move on to our final section we're going to start off by talking about bowie's last album ever black star released january 8th 2016 bowie's 69th birthday according to bowie's producer tony visconti the album was highly inspired by kendrick lamar's to pimp a butterfly as well as the electric duo boards of canada and experimental hip-hop trio death grips that's what i just heard yeah i it's a little hard for me to picture Bowie listening to Death Grip, yeah, but, I, you know, I shouldn't be surprised about anything by that man by, at this point. Yeah, yeah. And he was quoted saying, he always did what he wanted to do, and he wanted to do it his way, and he wanted to do it the best way. His death was no different from his life, a work of art. He made Black Star for us, his parting gift. I knew for a year this was the way it would be. And I wasn't, however, prepared for it. He was an extraordinary man full of love and life, and he will always be with us. For now, it's appropriate to cry. Mm. During the recording process, in which he would often come fresh from a chemo session with no eyebrows or hair, Visconti asked him once if he was making a farewell album. Bowie just laughed in response. So, kind of seems like that's exactly what he was doing. Yeah, yeah. So the cover art for the album depicts a large black star with small star fragments underneath it. And I was so curious as to what those meant. Have you, have you figured that out? No, no idea. Yeah, no, I don't think I know. Have you, you know what I'm talking about though? Yeah, I've seen the album. Yeah, like, and I re- Underneath the stars, like little sections fragments. of broken stars. Yeah. So I read somewhere that people believe that if you look at it, it's an extremely stylized font spelling out Bowie. Huh. Now, go back and look at it, and if you think about B-O-W-I-E, you can see it. It's kind of, it's really, really clever. I would have never wow. figured that out unless I had nice. read that. But nice. yeah, it's yeah, supposed to spell out Bowie. Wow, nice. I also learned that James Murphy of LCD Sound System played percussion on two of the tracks on this album. Wow. Sue, or In a Season of Crime, and Girl Loves Me. So overall, this album is fucking fantastic. Yeah, yeah. This is a very premature call due to what date it is, but this might be like top five albums of 2016 material for me as of right now. It's definitely at number one, and I can't think of an album coming up that's gonna take its place. The only thing <laughs> is allegedly there's a new Nine Inch Nails album coming oh, out this year. Shit. And yeah, that might go. knock it down. It could be bad. I'm not no, gonna like completely see. say it's gonna be my favorite, but that's the only thing that <laughs> might could take it down yeah. a notch. Yeah. No, it's this is a fantastic album. In that first the first track, black, the titular track, Black Star. Black Star. That is like a creepy song. I gotta be honest, watching, and I can't stop listening to it. It's like haunting and creepy and beautiful. And that is just, I'm just really sad he can't keep making music. Because that is, I have not heard a song 
that like it just kind of viscerally transfixed me for a long time with this song. The the delivery of the vocals in the first third and last third of yeah. the song yeah yeah really had to grow on me yeah at first i was put off by it let me ask you this this is gonna lead us down a huge rabbit hole <laughs> bring it on do you know who klaus nomi is no no okay <laughs> I should have probably taken notes on this. So, <laughs> there is this Bavarian German artist whose name was Klaus Nomi. Hmm. He was a very odd fellow. He got his claim to fame because on one of Bowie's biggest Saturday Night Live performances, this guy sang backup vocals for him. Yeah, yeah. And this performance, Bowie was in like a giant plastic tuxedo that was so I think rigid that Klaus Nomi and this other performance artist who I think was Joey something actually had to carry Bowie in this yeah. tuxedo up to the mic. I saw, I've seen that. And then online. they carried him back. So Klaus yeah. Nomi is the dark-haired guy with the really weird, like flock of seagulls haircut, okay. receding hairline. Yep. So this was actually the only time him and Bowie ever worked together. Hmm. Now. I guess there was like a loose promise that they would record another album together. Yeah. And like Klaus waited for that phone call and just it never came through. But his performance on Saturday Night Live garnered him enough attention that he actually got a record deal through Bowie's record label at the time. Nice. So Klaus was an avant-garde musical performer. Heavily into avant-garde. And he actually was very talented opera singer. Wow, wow, wow. And he actually taught himself how to opera sing. He grew up as a teenager, he worked as an usher at an opera house. And just from watching the shows and going home and trying to mimic what they do, became this, I think you call him like a false tenor. Like he could sing extremely high notes, but also extremely low notes. Wow. But he would do these crazy songs of like really cheesy, like late 70s, early 80s synth new wave. Yeah. But with like vocals. (laughs) And beyond that, he was so obsessed with that plastic tuxedo that Bowie wore that he had a plastic tuxedo himself. And he considered himself to be an alien. Like he truly, he thought. He was from the planet Nomi. Huh. Just a really weird guy. Huh. And a lot of people, even though they never, and he tragically died of AIDS at the age of 36. He only ever put out two oh, albums. Oh, wow. Okay. And a lot of people are thinking that the vocals at the beginning of Black Star yeah. are kind of a little bit of a throwback to Klaus Nomi because it's huh. those and like in the pillar of autumn that, yeah yeah that, yeah no doubt that no doubt sounds a lot like how Nomi songs used to sound yeah from what you've described yeah that Pitchfork does. wrote this really little interesting article along with five videos that span his career like the tragic life of Klaus Nomi. I'll post it along yeah, this episode yeah, just because it's kind of relevant to Bowie yeah have you looked online at like interpretations of this song and video? It has gotten like 
ridiculous. I'm sure that's like a whole rabbit hole of. There, there are so many variants. Some people, there's some claim that <laughs> that David Bowie told the saxophonist to this song that the song is about ISIS. You know, I <laughs> no think I did hear something about that. <laughs> no one else in the band. They're all just like, what? I maybe my theory is that maybe he meant ISIS like the Egyptian goddess. <laughs> I don't know. If he... Yeah. Or, or there's also a theory that like this is like a satanic black magic kind of stuff, which the video has so much like imagery and symbolism that someone could really go to town with it. But I, no, go ahead. Go. I did read a little interview with the director, and he did allude to the fact that Bowie is supposed to be playing three distinct, different characters throughout the music video. Yeah, yeah, and that a lot of like. The little bits thrown in there were just stuff that Bowie said they should do, and it seemed kind of almost random. Like, the reason why that female has a tail is because Bowie thought it would be more sexual if she had a tail. Like, <laughs> he, just stuff like that. Yeah, I think I think some people are interpreting it very literally. Uh, it seems more impressionistic like that. And I don't know if you knew this, and I hope what I read is true, but Black Star has many, many, many different meanings. But one of them is actually, if you're a radiologist screened for cancer, a black star is a cancer lesion. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, that's what, and I hope it's true. We'll double fact check it just Dang. to be sure. But when I read that, I was like, that to me, that that is really like profound with David Bowie. It's like just taking everything in his life and kind of making it, just embracing the ambiguity of it. You know what I mean? The Black Star could be this kind of beautiful, you know, psychedelic, supernatural thing, or it's also literally you dying. A dying star. Yeah, a dying star. And so I, I I, think it's best to interpret that song impressionistically, just yeah. like he embraced the kind of double meanings of it. But I love that. Or expecting like that. I'm not a pop star. I'm a black star. Yeah, yeah. I just... I'm not a famous. I'm a I'm a black star. I love that. I love that middle part where it's almost like he. It almost sounds like back to his like 70s kind of like. It yeah, it's like very kind of glammy again. Yeah, almost. yeah. It's yeah. very because it starts the beginning and ending are so eerie and like hypnotic very almost. Eerie. Yeah. And in the middle, it's just kind of like very showy and big and flamboyant. Yeah, it's yeah, it's awesome. And then yeah, and then yeah, yeah. It's very haunting and then very like yeah, almost not vaudeville, but yeah, I don't know what it is. It's showy. Yeah, showy. Yeah, yeah very showy. But no, I love it. There's something again about kinda like just that it's most primal. If I if because I I've watched this video like ten times because it's so weird. And I was read the lyrics, and they reference some of the weirdest stuff. The village of Ormond, which is in Norway, <laughs> I think. <laughs> yeah, and it has like some like ancient mythological. Stands a solitary candle. <laughs> Day of execution. Uh, Women are all be on their knees. It's so good. I think if I had to give it just a like heavy one sentence kind of interpretation, I would just say it's it's something. Just about creativity, growth, that, it sounds so vulgar, but just like cancer. It, there's something about that that's also tied to like death. 
just being done. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it seems like he's just embracing that. Even throughout the video, there's constant imagery of him like being crucified. Right? You die to live again. I don't know. It's just, it's a, it is an amazing artistic statement about his death. Which the whole album. The whole album is an amazing artistic Which, statement about his death. It's amazing. I got to say. And I love going back to the subterranean. I love the use of the horns all yeah. throughout this album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the whoever reviewed Black Star on Pitchfork stated that Bowie's use of jazz and his saxophone are not for like finger snapping pep, but rather to hint at mystery and unease. Yeah, which I think really nails nice. the the nail on the head. This album is mysterious, it's mystical, it's witty, it's funny, it's yeah. depressing. It's just all in all just kind of a wonderful goodbye from a wonderful man. Yeah, yeah. I I also, I really dug the track Girl Loves Me Yeah. a lot. Yeah, that which is amazing. It's sang entirely in Nodsat, which is the fictional language from A Clockwork Orange. Yep. And it's also sang in Polari which was a slang used in gay clubs in the 1970s in England. So yeah. it's all in this weird slang. Yeah, it is. The, the lyrics are so weird, but they sound so good. They sound perfect. Oh, and I love how he, his <laughs> voice cracks. Yeah. Go, go. Like, yeah. And everyone was tripping hard on like, the fact that we found out about how he died on Monday and the line where the fuck did Monday go is repeated just over and over and over again. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I didn't even think it. Yeah, yeah. No, this might be my favorite track for his vocal performance. I think the it's vocals so interesting. Are, yeah, they're awesome. They're awesome. It's almost like a, like Tom Waits is able to like bring out different dimensions of his song through his extremely weird voice. And this similar that just the weird use of his voice. Fantastic. I wasn't a huge fan of Tis a Pity, She's a Whore. That one's a head scratcher. It's probably, I know it, it's, the name is taken from a play yeah. called Tis a Pity, She's a Whore, but that apparently also is alluded to in the song Sue, the same play. I do really like the song Sue. Which I do too, so maybe someone will figure out what this deep poetic connection is. Just, Something about his vocal performance, I'm not a huge fan of. But that, and I still, yeah. I do still really like that song though. Like, I love how insane the instrumentation gets near the Same. end of the track. It's yeah. just like crazy manic. I love the outro. It's a pity. Yeah. That's the best part when he screams. Too. Yeah. <gasps> yeah, he literally <gasps> just goes, ah. Yeah. <laughs> like, damn, man. Damn. So even, yeah. even my least favorite song on the album is still a great song overall. Yeah. Yeah, and they just yeah. in in dollar days that one too. I thought that almost sounded like it could have been released on an album in like 1971. You know what I mean? It, it almost it had that kind of style to it, but but with the kind of you know, more experimental twist. Yeah, great. I guess. Do you have anything to say? Anything else to say about any of the other tracks, or do you want to move on to? Big one. Mutually agreed upon track. Yes. Yeah, no. Alright, so the song we wanted to talk about is Lazarus. This was the last single ever to be released by Bowie before his death. 
Bowie also has an off-Broadway musical of the same name as this song, featuring actor Michael C. Hall playing Bowie in the... Interesting, um... Michael C. Hall's been, like, doing a little tour circuit, performing Lazarus in promotion of the album as well as the play. He does actually a pretty good job emulating Bowie's vocal yeah. style. Nice. I mean, not that anyone really could. Yeah. Michael C. Hall's a pretty good actor, though. According to Bowie's producer, Visconti, the lyrics and video of Lazarus were intended to be a self-epitaph commentary on Bowie's own impending death, which I'm sure anyone who listens to or watches the music video would gather. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the music video is shown in a one-to-one aspect ratio, which I found very interesting. You usually don't see a square format music video. Yeah. And it prominently features Bowie as the button-eyed character from the Black Star music video. Yeah. Who is laying in a deathbed. Bowie also plays a poet, simultaneously tormented and inspired by the skull found in the Black Star music video. There's a lot of... Yeah. They obviously go together. Yeah. And the whole time, there's this dark woman either hiding underneath Bowie's bed or in the shadows of the room which I'm going to assume is supposed to represent death yeah. waiting to take him. Yeah. The video finishes with Bowie retreating into a dark closet while wearing a diagonally striped suit, which I guess is a reference to his album Station to Station, where on the back cover he was wearing that exact uh, same suit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He also does some Tom York-esque dancing yeah, in the middle really of it. Yeah, he really does. He really does. Yeah. yeah. Now it's time for everyone's favorite segment, Catholic Corner. (laughs) It is believed that Lazarus is in reference to Lazarus of Bethany, St. Lazarus, or Lazarus of the Four Days, whom is the subject of a prominent miracle attributed to Jesus in the Gospel of John, in which Jesus restores him to life four days after his death. The name Lazarus, Lazarus is frequently used in science and science fiction and popular culture in reference to the apparent restoration of life. Mm-hmm. Which just adds to how eerie it is that, you know, this album kind of brought him back to life after he died in some yeah. ways. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I don't know. Yeah, it's thoughts it is, on Lazarus? It is a powerful song. I mean it, the description almost like conveys the power of it. I mean, it, now that he's passed, it, yeah, it's a very powerful song. And especially, I thought when you see him in just white robe laying in bed, and then when it, I think it's the first cut to him in black and doing those kind of Tom York-esque yeah. moves. That is like, man, just he even kind of looks like. Really the whole music video, he looks like Black Star. When that came out, before we knew he was sick, I thought he looked like a perfectly healthy 69-year-old. Yeah. In Lazarus, you can even like when it starts, they show him in bed, and they kind of like show him like holding the covers up to his face, and you can just see his hands. Can, like see the bones and veins and like you can tell this man is 
not well yeah. in that music video. Yeah, yeah. No, that was the most, like, of all the parts on the album I've listened to in the videos for some of the music videos, that was the most, that first shot of him kind of in standing up after laying down and kind of really singing it, that's where I really felt like, wow, he must have really, like, thrown his, it seemed as if he threw his life literally into this yeah, album. Like the last bit of his life force was used to make this yeah. video almost. Yeah, and wow, man. It's, it's, it is pretty, yeah, moving with the video as well. It's, it's incredible. It's incredible. I kind of wanted to read the lyrics. There's not that many of them. Yeah. Just because yeah. I feel like they're, they need to be read. Look up here, I'm in heaven. I've got scars that can't be seen. I've got drama, can't be stolen. Everybody knows me now. Look up here, man, I'm in danger. I've got nothing left to lose. I'm so high, it makes my brain whirl. Drop my cell phone down below. Ain't that just like me? By the time I got to New York, I was living like a king. Then I used up all my money. I was looking for your ass. This way or no way, you know I'll be free. Just like that blue bird. Now ain't that just like me? Oh, I'll be free, just like that bluebird. Oh, I'll be free. Ain't that just like me? Mm. I I think this is one of the most beautifully clever songs I've ever heard. Yeah. Bowie, who was known for his artistic statements, literally turned his death into a work of art. Yeah. Ain't that just like him? Yeah, <laughs> yeah no kidding. Yeah. The line, ain't that just like me, it's like him taking a step back with all of his fans who are saying or sitting there saying, Wow, only yeah. Bowie could pull like put out an album about his death. Ain't that just like him? And he's like, Yeah, that is just like me. He's he's in the know. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, he's acknowledging it with us. No, it's Yeah, that's amazing. And like I'm so high it makes my brain whirl. It's probably both referencing like being up in the afterlife, but also just being high out of pain medication. Yeah. And you have no idea what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the instrumentation in the song is fantastic. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. It goes back to what we were saying. It's sad, but it's like an accepted sad. Not yeah. Like I want things to change. Yeah. It's very yeah. reminiscent and nostalgic sounding. Yeah. The horns are like both haunting and comforting at the same time. And it honestly kind of gave me a real like twin peaksy vibe yeah absolutely yeah yeah several times on this album i was almost like thought it was twin peaks-esque david lynch kind of <laughs> yeah vibe no but it's yeah it, in no way does it seem like he's like not somewhat it's like a very realistic acceptance of his death you know with scars and drama but he's in heaven now so maybe like, yeah yeah no, it was, and if he lives on, he'll live on as a black star. Man, that's good. Blows my mind. Yeah, in the voice, dude. His voice. Listening to this after listening to his music from the '70s, was that first one '69? Even his voice sounds like just as good on this album and on this song. It's just as good. He was an amazing person. Yeah. I definitely, for not being a diehard fan, kind of delving into just even the just the top layer of who this guy is in in preparation for this podcast. I want to delve even deeper. Like yeah. I want to 
search every nook and cranny now. Yeah, same. Same. Any other overall thoughts or anything? No, no, I think, yeah, we're always better than this. That just like him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. While his tragic death has left us feeling sad, in no way should we pity David Bowie. He lived and accomplished more in his 69 years on this planet than most people ever will. In fact, there's a website called SupBowie.com, which I will link to, which will tell you everything Bowie did while he was your age. So you just type in your age and it'll tell you all the things he accomplished wow, when he was how old you were. Just as Lazarus rose from his death, Bowie's artistic contributions guarantee that he will live long as long as there are sentient beings to enjoy them. Thank you, David Bowie, for everything, and thank you, everybody, for listening.